Thank you for tuning in to another Hospital Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Gil Pratt. In today's topic, I'm going to be talking about some of my basic thoughts on quality of care and U.S. payment reform. Many like me assume we can give better quality care for lower cost, but that has not really been proven. There likely are some things we can do for a whole lot cheaper and some other things that simply cost a lot to achieve. I think this was well summarized in the only systematic literature review to date regarding the evidence on the cost-quality affiliation in healthcare, and that was just published in the Annals of Internal Medicine on January 1, 2013. The article was appropriately titled, The Association Between Healthcare Quality and Cost, A Systematic Review. The first paragraph of that review concisely makes a few great points about this controversy, so I will quote that now. The author stated, Although there is broad policy consensus that both cost containment and quality improvement are critical, the association between healthcare costs and quality is one of the more controversial topics in health policy. One possibility is that improvements in quality will require increase in cost, or conversely, cost reductions could reduce quality. On the other hand, Improvements in quality could lower costs by reducing complications or hospital readmissions. In reality, the association between cost and quality probably falls between these two extremes, so that some types of healthcare costs are associated with high quality and others with poor quality. The effect depends on where the money is spent. And that's the end of the quote. So, That's the introduction of the paper, and it begs the question, because the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation spent bona fide money to fund the review, what did they find? Are you ready for the life-changing uncovering of the findings? Wait for it. Okay, the author stated, and I'm quoting them again, this review suggests that the association between healthcare cost and quality is still poorly understood. End of the quote. Now, I doubt this important data will change policy debates, but we should acknowledge that even those of us with passionate opinions about this topic are still somewhat ignorant about it. There has no doubt been excellent examples in print about how outcomes are not always tied to health expenditures, particularly if you look at the extremes. Many of you will recall the very well-written and well-publicized article by Atul Gawande, published in my favorite magazine, The New Yorker, back on June 1st, 2009, when he wrote about McAllen, Texas, earning the distinction as one of the most expensive healthcare markets in the country. And I think Dr. Guande made a convincing argument that the high costs were not paying off in regards to quality and outcomes. Yes, the patients in McAllen, Texas saw more specialists, had more tests, and more procedures, but I think most of us are already now convinced that the overuse of healthcare is not a good thing. I remember a surgeon in my hospital once saying to me, nothing will kill you faster than VIP medicine. And I think he's probably correct in that. So while I think most of us agree that overuse is not a good thing, what remains a question and a fear is when we cross the threshold to providing too little in the name of cost savings. We know that overutilization is a problem because statistically, procedures cause complications. Therefore, 
Unneeded procedures cause complications. Unneeded medicines cause side effects. So that is a low-hanging fruit. Stop overutilization. Some things, like tort reform, will help decrease some of the overutilization, no matter what certain lawyer lobbies say about it. I don't know a single doctor practicing that can say in good faith that they didn't overorder too many tests in the past year because they fear lawsuits if they miss the rarest of zebras causing the hoofbeats. However, the other part of what drives overutilization, that is what we have to admit as a profession, that the total lack of ethics of a minority of physicians has ruined it for the rest of us because they raped the government reimbursement coffers, as many are still doing today, and the country can't afford it. Dr. Gawande was a bit kinder in his article, referring to the entrepreneurial spirit of physicians as, quote, innovative and aggressive in finding ways to increase revenues from patient care. And that's how he put it. But the money comes off of the back of others. Some doctors are like other Americans. If they don't see the victims of their behavior, they will not only download movies illegally, they also find ways to create high-margin work that isn't necessary. Many other docs acknowledge these are not victimless crimes. Beyond hurting the fiscal health of our nation, doctors realize that if we put revenues above the importance of the patient, we slowly kill the soul of a sacred profession. Yes, it's true that integrity and morality can get in the way of success, but they do build self-worth even in ways more possessions don't. The lead singer for the rock band The Strokes, a band name that fits well into a medical podcast like Butter to Bread, is a guy named Julian Casablancas who said, Greed is the inventor of injustice as well as the current enforcer. And those following the news and politics know the country has understandably made it clear they plan to enforce all kinds of rules to limit greed. But some of those rules are also chipping away at the soul of our profession. What is also clear that in attempts to tackle these issues, there has been a push both within parts of the profession and obviously from payers like the government and private industry that we need to focus on quality payments above quantity. Well, I don't need to tell most of you that there are fears that paying for quality will still result in doctors finding innovative and aggressive ways to increase revenues from patient care, and they are valid fears. Physician behavioral changes could swing in the other direction of not providing enough care because of the desire to minimize expenditures. There may be cherry-picking by physicians in which you try to avoid the sickest patients so your quality and outcomes look stellar. Think about it. If you are a surgeon, do you want to do an appendectomy on a young woman in her 40s who has no health problems or the woman in her 40s who is getting chemotherapy and had two previous abdomen operations within the past year and a history of a recent small bowel obstruction? So if we pay solely on outcomes... Would you want to be a hospital-based surgeon taking care of a sick population or a surgeon in a private practice getting referrals from primary care providers who have also cherry-picked the healthiest patients? 
reducing access of care for the sickest patients because of payment incentives is not where we desire to go as a country. And of course, we as doctors don't trust the payers or government to get the measurements right. Nearly every doc has their own story about this stuff that drives them crazy, so I'll just share one of mine. A few years back, I was labeled as a non-preferred provider by a major insurance company because the hemoglobin A1Cs in my patients was deemed too high. I wrote them a letter explaining I'm a hospitalist and only see the sickest patients in my city and don't follow up on a recurrent outpatient basis to help them decrease their sugar levels. I put out fires and those playing with matches cause more fires, just as those not controlling their diabetes get hospitalized. The letter never made them reconsider the label they put on me. To them, I was a bad doctor and apparently don't know how to treat diabetes. In each quarter, when I received that letter, it ruined my mood for just a few minutes. But fortunately, the scarlet letter they placed on me did not change the actual payments I received. It didn't affect how other doctors or patients viewed me. But I fear that would not be the case in a huge system transitioning to quality payments. All that being said, I do believe the words of the deceased art critic, John Ruskin, who said, quality is never an accident. It is always the result of intelligent effort. I somehow, by means of faith, remain a doctor that believes we can achieve better quality with lower costs. And I support the concept of quality payments. And I have actually helped implement quality payments based on metrics in a big hospitalist group here in Colorado Springs. Our internal data over several years showed it improved care and cut costs. But I acknowledge a huge system might not get it right, and the ability to rectify those issues in a timely manner with Medicare and huge insurers will be limited. Voltaire said, every abuse ought to be reformed, unless the reform is more dangerous than the abuse itself. It's the huge frustration everyone in America is having with healthcare these days. We know the current fee-for-service produces waste, and in too many scenarios, fraud. There's a huge push for novel payment reform, but without trying it, we don't know if these reforms will be better or worse. A drug has to be out on the market a while before we know all its side effects. And that will also be the case with payment reform. We won't know all the side effects until we try it. You've been listening to the Hospital Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Gil Perrott.